welcome to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast, brought to you by CoreLogic, produced by Agents TV for the 14th of June, 2021. I'm Head of Research, Nick Goodall, and I'm joined by our Chief Economist, Calvin Davidson, down in Christchurch. Calvin, how's things, mate? Very good. Very good down here. Nothing much to report from the weekend, but uh, I was taking in the cricket and yeah, great result overnight. So yeah, bring on the big one at the end of the week. Yeah, yeah, that's huge, eh? And I was, I was thinking before, we are going to have to maybe go outside our ban of talking about sport in the intro, but obviously good win from the back caps last night. And as you say, this Friday is the key, the big one with the World Test Championship against India. So very much looking forward to that, although not looking forward to uh, the timing, of course, being late nights and not much sleep. And, and the Euros haven't been helping much lately with the football either. So yeah, certainly keeping me busy alongside some family time, but I uh, do enjoy a bit of, bit of live sports. I can't help myself on that one. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, I I haven't managed to get around the Spark Sports, so, but I can see the big big game at the end of the week on Sky. So yeah, good to go. There's probably the split providers, eh? They're niggly, but uh, yeah, we'll live. All good, mate. Well, um, I know we both got to travel, uh, fly off later this morning, so we'll get into things. And um, yeah, people might notice a little bit of extra extra speed and getting through the content today, but plenty to get through as well. So I thought we'd first kick off with our CoreLogic bioclassification data. Of course, we got this updated last week for May's data. Um, typically, we report this on a quarterly basis. We report you know, the, the quarter so far, um, but I thought that it would be worthwhile just touching on the really more granular, the monthly data as well, um, because of course, everyone's really interested in this activity to see what's happening from an investor perspective, most interestingly. And, and look, I think that looking at this data, the first thing that pops up is, yes, we've seen further evidence of a drop in that investor activity. It is worthwhile noting that it's most likely a reflection of the, the increased LVR limits, the return of the LVRs uh, on the 1st of May, of course, 40% deposit requirement for those investors. And we've seen now that reduction in investor activity because they will be finding it harder to do those deals and, and to have the right amount of equity to um, to secure that mortgage for, for another purchase. And there's probably elements of not necessarily nervousness, but certainly caution from some buyers who will be you know, unsure or waiting to see what happens with the government changes as well. Although I think the more data we're getting, the, the longer time it's passing, the more I'm feeling like actually the impact in the short term won't be as great as we may be otherwise thought when those announcements came through at the end of March, um, particularly around the introductability change, uh, mostly due to the phase the introduction of that. But um, as I say, we'll sort of still keep a, keep a watching brief on that one. In terms of detail for the data, those investors um, picked up 36, or mortgaged investors, I should say, picked up 36.6% of sales in May. And that was compared to 41.0% in March. And that was the most recent mini peak in terms of a monthly peak. So two months ago, 41, down almost 5% or 4.5%, which is quite a significant drop. And at the same time, we did see that flip to those first home buyers sort of picking up a lot of that slack. Um, and a bit of most of those first-time buyers we've spoken about that probably were unlucky to not be able to buy in the previous six months, and now with less competition, they'll be able to jump into the market. So their, their share over that same period, 21.1% in March and 24.6% in May. Um, as I said, most external-facing documents or you know um, charts and, and articles that we write generally look at the quarterly data, so I'd look at the quarter so far, April and May put together. So some of those figures will be different, but the granular stuff really gives you a, a fair idea about how that, that behavior has changed in the last wee while. So just let me focus on that a little bit. I know that you pay close attention to this data as well, mate. Is there anything else you've been looking at for there or for that or anything else you want to sort of maybe delve into a bit more um, over the next week or so? Yeah, just to say really that there's no surprises. Bear in mind, we'll think back five years, four or five years when the 40% deposit requirement last came in in, in 2016. 
uh, we saw a, a starting point pretty similar for, for investors in terms of their market share. Then that 40% deposit requirement came in and it, it, it fell away sort of six, seven percentage points over, over the course of a year. So and we've always talked about how this was likely to happen again. And I think now we're we're starting to see it. Of course, this time it'll be compounded, you would think, by the by the tax changes to some degree. So early days for that one yet, but you'd think that would compound it as we go. So yeah, I think this is going to be the the trend for a for a few months yet. And and as I say, it's it's got precedent. So you know, people listening to this shouldn't shouldn't really be surprised. Yeah, no, exactly. Like I say, we've been talking about it for a wee while. Talking about those changes, though, um, of course, as we've spoken about over and over, there's still a lot of detail to come out about those changes, particularly around what's a new build constitute, as well as how some of the tax rules work and making sure people don't get taxed twice. The consultation document came out last week from the government, um, 143 pages of it. I'm not sure if you've gone through and, you know, that was, that was, you know, you're reading in between breaks in the cricket or something. Um, but I know that we've, we've both skimmed over the detail of that. The um, I thought I'd pick up on a couple of things and just see if there's anything else that you've been looking at. I haven't, like I haven't really looked into this in detail. Um, but I think the couple of things for me, we talked about it early on. That there was this wording in the tax document about making sure that people weren't essentially punished twice. So if you did pay... Uh, capital gains tax because you sold within the bright line period, you would then be able to claim your interest costs back over a period. So they're definitely looking at what that might look like. That's that's part of the consultation period. And certainly I'd suggest to anyone to take the opportunity, if you are interested and you're in the industry, which most likely you are if you're listening to us, to, you know, if you've got a say, you want to have a say, then please take the opportunity to do so and, and, and provide some information back to the government on this. And the other one, of course, is what constitutes a new building um, or who, who's the owner of those new buildings as well. And the key thing they've done really is split this out to say it could be or they'll, they'll consider the options around if you're the first owner, you might be you've built new, you then you forever can write off those tax um, deductions. Or maybe it's the subsequent owner as long as they've bought within 20 years of that being built. So they're looking at the number of years it might be new for or whether it might exist forever for a new um, or for the person that actually got that property built in the first place. So they continue to see those benefits, which is that continued encouragement to build new property, which is courses is a key part. We all know we need to lift supply and we don't want to restrict that because of some tax changes. So those are the couple of nuances, I suppose, around some of the changes. They've got some really detailed examples about what a new build is when you're settled on it, what type of new build include is included. There's a whole bunch of detail there, which I don't think is necessary for us to go through. We're always really interested in the macro situation here and to understand is some of the detail here going to affect some people's behavior, which might then see demand reduce or increase or switch or whatever it might be. And that's where our interest is always laid. If you want the detail, I think there'll be um, a bunch of sources out there, including I know the um, Property Academy podcast by the OPS boys, they'll be pouring through the details there because they, of course, advise on, uh, you know, what properties would be, you know, profiting more or otherwise. So um, I'll probably go into the detail. But was there anything else from our perspective, that macro level view, what might impact the market? whether it's going to be as bad or as maybe not as bad as we thought. Is there anything else you picked up on, Calvin? I think my, my impression is that they're, they're looking to be quite generous. You know, I think they, they do want, it seems, investors to be going down this new build path. And, and so the discussion document, I haven't read 143 pages either, but it, it does seem quite generous in those summary documents around what a new build is. And, and, and basically they've said any, any new dwelling or any new um, building that has a bathroom and kitchen basically and, and can be can be lived in. So it's it's quite a 
with quite a broad range of, of dwellings that could cover. And yeah, quite generous in their in their approach to, to how long you might be able to claim interest. As, you know, as you've said, it, it could be multiple decades, 20, 30 years, or it could be if you buy now and hold it for perpetuity, you, you can claim interest. So it seems quite generous. And um, that's that seems to be, you know, just laying that groundwork for investors to look at new builds and really encouraging them down that path. So I think that's my general impression of, of the document. I have seen uh, no, absolutely no surprises here. The National have said they'd repeal it. So, um, so you know, that's the well, shock horror. Of course they will. Of course they will say that. So, um, yeah, there's there's a few things coming out there, but but my overall impression, yeah, pretty pretty generous. Yeah, good good pick up. I think um, that's a good read on it. I think yeah, that that generosity and the length of how long a property is new for is definitely deliberate. There was some you know pushback or discussion initially when these changes were announced that it could still ruin the secondary market because someone might not be keen to build a new property knowing that if and when they do come to sell it X many years down the road, it's worth less because at that point it's an existing property and that existing property market is technically not worth as much as new. And so even though you're building new and buying new, at some point that property is not going to be worth as much because it turns into an existing product. So the longer that period, the less that argument stacks up, I suppose. And so I think that, yes, I say the generosity makes sense and hopefully quells some of those fears for developers who are saying, yep, all well and good that we can claim interest costs back, but if that's only until we sell it, then that property is going to be worth less. And again, that, that, that might ruin or affect the profitability, which means we're not so keen to keep building new properties, which again is against what the government wants. So that's, um, that's, that's obviously a key point that they'll be looking into. And I think, yeah, when they take the different, you know, feedback and consultation on this, it will probably push them towards keeping that long period at least 20 years. Um, and the perpetuity one will be interesting as well. So yeah, good good little um, extras on that one, I think. Um, I suppose tied to um, supply, but on the short-term side of things, we haven't really talked about what's happening from the listings perspective much recently, Kelvin. I know you've lately been having a little bit more of a look at this. It's not too much of a surprise or much of a change from recently, um, but of course for our presentations, we need to get a good feel for what's happening from that listings perspective. So do you want to just touch on your couple of insights or some of the data you've actually been looking at from, um, from a listing side? Yeah, it's still really tight for listings, both on rentals and properties to buy in terms of stock on the market. And really what we're seeing, I think, in terms of that that owner or buying side of the market, we, you know, we're seeing, we are seeing sort of a normal flow of listings come on, you might say, which is obviously being soaked up at the other end of the pipeline by by sales. So that total stock is, is staying pretty flat at a low level. So it's still pretty tight out there. And those new listings, you know, no, no evidence of a spike. They're just ticking along those new, the new flows coming onto the market at ticking along at normal levels. So, you know, no real evidence here, almost kind of three months on from those tax changes that we're seeing a, a big spike in people wanting to sell. So I think, you know, maybe you'd say it's early days still, but even so, the those listings numbers haven't really responded. So yeah, it's still pretty tight out there. And, and you know, I suspect that anybody looking to buy a property is, is still facing quite a bit of competition. So yeah, nothing much changed. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it shows that, yeah, those investors... You know, if they were thinking of listing, they are still biding their time, wait and see what happens. There's no rush to raise equity or anything because of these changes. So I think there's evidence of that. The um, 
the, the other side of this, I think, well, the continued side of this, and I had a discussion with a journalist last week was, you know, what if there's a downturn in the market or what would it take to see a downturn? And I think we're always considering this, right? It's the look on the other side of the coin. What if we were to see a downturn? What would that look like? And what's the risk of being negative equity and all these things? And it's something we always consider. And a big part of that, of course, we have to have a massive list and available properties for sale because we've just seen such a massive drop over the last few years and demand just keeps chewing into those that are existing. And it's not because we're not seeing people list their property. As you said, it's actually quite regular, quite normal, quite seasonally normal every week, every month. We do see the number of new properties come to market pretty consistent with previous years. The problem is over the last four or five years, the amount of sales that have occurred have eaten into the available stock and it's never been replenished. So we actually need to see fewer sales occur and more listings or listings at the normal rate come to market for a long period of time before we see an overall lift in that total listings level. And um, it's hard to sort of see anything like that come anytime soon, unless there is some sort of probably significant economic shock and, and a lift in unemployment where people have to list their property and demand reduces significantly. Um, you know, maybe that would be because of interest rates, but not because of the current forecasted interest rate level, which we know is tip to lift, but not for a year, and it'll still be slow and steady from that point. So we do constantly put our mind into that, you know, situation to go, what could cause a big downturn? What would see prices drop? Um, and it's, at the moment, it is hard outside of something significant and external to see that happen. And that is because of this massive supply constraint um, in the short term from those available for sale, not even considering the fact that we need to continue, continue to build properties as well. So I think it's a good good one to keep our eye on as well. Um, and certainly, and certainly, like I say, not really a changing situation, um, which is which is part of the reason we think you know, we're in for this slowdown as opposed to a downturn. Um, cool, mate. Well, let's let's move on from that. And uh, from your perspective, what's happening from um, economic data side? Maybe quickly you can go through what happened last week and also wrap in what you're looking out for this week. I know there's a couple of releases uh, later today and tomorrow as well. So give us your economic overview. Yeah, but quieter last week for data, really. I think, was it Queen's birthday? I mean, it was a short week last week, can't recall. But uh, yeah, really just business confidence from, from ANZ was was still pretty good. So firms are, are feeling reasonably optimistic. I think the, the, the read on that survey has almost changed a little bit from being about what businesses are thinking. It's kind of, that is the headline, but it, it's kind of been pushed to the background by inflation concerns. And so some of the inflation measures in there are actually getting a lot more attention now. And it's about firms' input costs rising, you know, how, how much of that they're going to pass on to consumers, how much we're going to see in terms of a general lift in prices. So so there's that's, that's sneaking in, you know, more and more. And the general discussion seems to be more and more about inflation and reinforces that, you know, that longer-term prospect of, of rising interest rates. So, <clears throat> so yeah, the uh, the inflation inflation issue seems to be, be becoming a bigger one, so one to keep an eye on. And certainly for mortgage holders, you know, suggest or reinforces, as I say, those those upward risks to, to mortgage rates. Then, yeah, coming out this week, we've got net migration uh, later today, which will be sort of low and slow still. We know the borders are shut, so there's probably not much to say there other than, you know, let's see what happens when the borders reopen. And I suspect you know, we'd, we'd get net migration coming back, so that would reinforce sort of that overall population growth again and, and return some upwards pressure to, to property values potentially. So so low and slow for now, but keep an eye out. And then um, rental prices 
tomorrow. So that's that's going to cover May. And so, of course, still early days, trying to judge the effects of the government policy changes. But you know, people will be watching this one because there's, there's sort of two schools of thought. Will, will rent spike as a result or will they just continue to rise at their normal pace? So we'll have to wait and see what how that's going to play out. But, um, but certainly a lot of attention on that tomorrow. And then we've got um, GDP later in the week. So we finally get GDP for Q1 a couple of months later. And yeah, this is this has turned around. It wasn't that long ago that people were, were speculating about double-dip recession. And of course, GDP fell at the end of last year and people were speculating it was going to fall again in Q1. Now that seems to have turned around to be, well, could be up half a percent, 1%, something like that in the first quarter. So another, another remarkable turnaround for the stats. And so it looks like we've probably avoided that recession. And um, so people are looking for a good positive result from that on Thursday. We've also got the New Zealand Activity Index this week, but of course it's it's that annual comparison. So comparing back to May last year, which we know was still held back by by social restrictions. So it won't be of much use, but um, but yeah, that's out as well. So yeah, kind of kind of busy for data this week. Yeah, yeah, certainly plenty to keep an eye out there. I think, like you say, the rental prices, but still early days. I think we do recognise that, of course, there'll be some investors, some landlords who will lift their rents, but we're saying it's not going to be a market-wide lift out of step of what we would have otherwise seen. Um, but always good to see that data and see whether there is any difference in that as well. So we'll, we'll certainly pay close attention to that one. The other one, I think, yeah, the, the one that's worth honing into and probably understanding a bit better, whether that's today or another time, is understanding how those inflation concerns, how and why they actually flow through to lift and interest rates and, and things as well. Um, and I suppose a big part of that is the fact that you know, to reduce people's spending, which means that inflation doesn't continue to grow up that much if we see those lifted interest rates. Do you have a sort of high-level overview on your take on why that inflationary pressure is, is, is important to understand from an interest rate perspective, Calvin? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, inflation is what the, the central bank looks at in terms of, of meeting their monetary policy remit. So um, economies get unstable when prices rise too quickly or fall too quickly. You know, it's been recognised that actually the best thing for kind of economic stability and performance and growth is actually to have a, a reasonably flat level of prices are only modestly growing. So, so that's been established over a long period of time that, that central banks will look at price growth or inflation as, as one of their targets. And we know our Reserve Bank does that. And so now, of course, they have their employment mandate now too, but, but certainly inflation is still part of it. And so they do that. They control that through through interest rates, and so as interest rates rise, yep, people people spend less. There's less less activity out there in the market or in the economy, so things slow down, and and that that then therefore reduces those price pressures. So that's the that's the, the sort of mechanism in a nutshell. Also, what the Reserve Bank looks at is is inflation expectations. So it's this this idea that okay, inflation might be two percent now, but it's they, they also watch what people think it might be in future because that influences you know, how much they might ask for in terms of wage rises or, or whatever. And, and then it becomes almost self-fulfilling. You know, if people think inflation will be higher, it does get higher. And so therefore the Reserve Bank has more work to do in future. So they want to sort of, you know, even if inflation's low now, they're kind of looking for what it might be and they, and they might try and act early to, to sort of nip it in the bud. So there's there's a bunch of stuff going on as well, but but that's the mechanism. And so, of course, if inflation rises more quickly, then the Reserve Bank will want to step in with higher OCR, and that will flow through to to mortgage rates. So this is, yeah, this is probably a a bit of a hot topic for people. It's it's becoming more and more so, and will obviously impact 
mortgage costs down the line. Now, I don't think anybody's suggesting we're going to have a return to you know, 1970s levels of inflation and 20% interest rates or anything like that, but it is starting to creep in. And I think it's, you know, for anybody out there with a mortgage, it'll be worth watching. Yeah, I think that's a really good explanation. Um, I think inflation, typically people hear and they the eyes glaze over and, you know, and then some technical economic terms they can't be bothered with. And, and I'm, I'm partly like that sometimes, but I think it's worthwhile understanding some of it. Um, and I think the other side of it is, of course, understanding what inflation is doing and making sure that if you've got investments out there, you've got some inflation protection. So if your costs are going to increase in the future, you want your investments to increase over time as well. Um, and I think part of the stuff when I'm reading or you know hearing what other people are saying about inflation at the moment, there is a bit of a school of thought that you know the banks are tending to what they call look through the short-term inflation and think it's only some short-term inflationary pressures. They're not likely to be sustained at a high level for a longer period. And so they don't think they necessarily need to change monetary policy to, to impact that. But of course, that's a moving feast. And if we do see a lift in those costs and it is sustained and persistent for a little bit longer, that's when we will see that pressure on the Reserve Bank, as you said. And, and technically, of course, they want inflation to be between that 1% and 3% mark, around about that 2%. So I suppose as it drifts closer to 3%, that's when you're saying they're likely to look at the OCR as a tool or a mechanism to try and lift those to bring that inflation back down again, because as you said, it reduces economic activity, reduces spending, and reduces that inflation inflationary pressure. So that's my my dumb version, because I'm not a qualified economist. I um, hope that makes sense to you, Calvin. And if it doesn't, please call me out on it. Um, <laughs> and certainly keen to hear others' thoughts as well, because I know that, as I said, it can get a bit, I don't know, boring or uh, or certainly uh, you know technical for, for, the, for the layman or the person that's out there on the street that doesn't necessarily need to know the detail about it all. So yeah, that's my take anyway. Yeah, that no, makes sense. Makes sense. And the other thing is that uh, you know, if, if you see inflation has actually risen above three percent or gets to four or five, or whatever, then people would say the reserve, it's it's too late. You know, the reserve bank's been too slow to act. So that's why they're they're looking to sort of move early. And 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 sure, we're not talking about an OCR rising, or at least they're not projecting it for another year or so anyway. So important to point out, it's it's not now. Um, but you know, I think they will be starting to just watch these things, and if they start to see it come through to those measures of expectations, what people think the CPI might do or consumers price inflation index, then um, yeah, they, they might have to act. But but yeah, it's good background and I think it will be a, a looming issue for people. Yeah, no, that's good. I think actually we might have to chuck that on the old data release calendar when the CPI data comes out and and um, and just stay across a bit more commentary on that because as you say, that, if that is the one thing that mortgage holders or even prospective buyers need to be aware of, and we're certainly getting a few of our friends now come to us um, and ask you know, myself and my wife, asking, oh, my mortgage is coming out, what should I be doing? And I think that's a key question right now, whereas it, previously it was easy, you know, everyone would just like lock it in for the lowest um, interest rate, you know, generally short term. But now we've run probably seeing a bit more commentary in the market, either from ourselves or from other economists, and um, and starting to get this feel for, oh, okay, some of these longer term rates are starting to lift. Should I lock one of them in sooner or later? And I think a key part to understanding that is those inflationary pressures. So I think we'll chuck that one on the calendar as well and make it a more regular talking point. Um, you know, we do have to say, of course, we're not financial advisors. So, you know, you, we can't actually advise what to do with your mortgage, but uh, we can give information to help you decide. And that's generally how I, how I say it to my friends and family anyway. So, um, I think that's a good little little rundown on that one. And one we'll chuck in, in the diary for uh, future conversations as well. So look, mate, that's going to round us out today. We can, um, it's a pretty short one today, which is probably good for us and, and probably good for the listeners as well. We can head off and, and get to the airport. Was there anything else though that, that I missed today or anything else you want to touch on or anything in the headlines that uh, we haven't talked about? 
No, I think that's pretty much it. Just, uh, yeah, busy week ahead. Yeah, we'll stay clear of any discussion around electric vehicles and rebates and things like that and stick to the property market, I think, because that sounds like it's going to be pretty political as well. So uh, we'll leave that to the gurus on that side of things. But um, that's awesome, mate. Well, thanks for the thanks for your insight there. As I said, when we get a bit technical on the economic stuff, always good to have you here. Um, always great insight. So thanks for that. And just say thanks for listening. Please do subscribe, hit that rating and review button um, and auto download as well. And do get in touch with us. As I said, we uh, if we're talking about new topics or if there's something else you want us to cover or something else you're hearing or thinking about, please do get in touch. We're available on Twitter, LinkedIn, and I'll leave our email addresses in the show notes as well. My name is Nick. He's Calvin. You've been listening to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast. Mā tewa. Thank you.